And welcome in everybody to the Landry Football Podcast for this Thursday, November 5th, as uh, we are excited as all get out to join you, as we like to do each and every week. We've got uh, a lot of uh, different what we think is good and exciting programs on the Landry Football Twitch channel. And we want to invite you, if you've not checked us out on Twitch, please do so. Um, and uh, it's twitch.tv forward slash Chris Landry Football is where you find us. Uh, two things. Uh, hit the follow button, uh, which is a little hard at the bottom right hand of the screen. This will automatically send you a message every time we are live and give you a link to the show. And secondly, uh, chat with us on Twitch. Say hi, say anything you want, ask a question, as we've got a lot of you that are very, very good. And we I can't tell you how much I appreciate everybody's involvement. We are trying to make this like a community, a football community. And uh, look, we have um, in the coaching and scouting business, we have staff meetings and we talk football. And I kind of look at it this way as, a, as an opportunity for um, for folks to ask questions and to maybe get into some interesting football conversations that we partake in um, each and every week here. So do that. And as a subscriber, you're going to receive a commercial free experience on Twitch, which means you won't miss a minute. And as subscribers to the Chris Landry Football Insiders chat room, we're going to lean on you to cheer and have fun and make comments. And uh, it's a it's a great way to support us. And Again, uh, if you like what we do, share us a few bits. Subscribe so that you can get, um, you know, um, become a subscriber. Uh, and again, you can get the commercial free interruption. Um, but then also you can cheer us on if you like what we do. Uh, again, uh, 200 bits is $2, for example. So any bit uh, in a little bit will help. This uh, podcast brought to you by a couple of fine folks that we want to tell you about off the top, uh, Manscaped uh, and the support for the Landry Football Network is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in the business in below-the-waist uh, men's grooming. Um, precision engineer tools, um, obsessed with their technology and development. They provide you the best tools with the best grooming experience that you can get. Um, that's why Manscaped has uh, redesigned their electric trimmer, the Manscaped. It's their third-generation trimmer. Uh, it features uh, a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents with the skin-safe technology. The battery will last up to 90 minutes, and uh, so you can take longer to shave, and it's waterproof. The waterproof technology allows you to use it in the shower. The LED light helps a little bit in the shower as well. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code Landry 20, that's all caps, L-A-N-D-R-Y 2-O. Uh, that's L-A-N-D-R-Y 20 at manscaped.com. We appreciate them, and we certainly appreciate you. For those of you that are into the gaming aspect of what we do, we want to, again, tell you about um, American Betting Experts, which you can find on the front page of LandryFootball.com. It's also where you can... Uh, find the Twitch channel, but you can uh, find special gaming offers from American betting experts. Um, it's one of the largest licensed sports and casino vendors in the U.S. We've teamed together with them to provide special gaming offers to all Landry football followers and podcast listeners. Here's what you do. Go to the website, 
uh, LandryFootball.com. Click on the ad located in the upper right side of the page. Pick among the gaming sites legal in your states, such as BetMGM, DraftKings, FanDuel, PointsBet. Sign up and instantly receive an account deposit match or a risk-free bet from $100 to $1,000. It's that easy. Go to LandryFootball.com. Click on the ad located. Special gaming offers right at the top right. Get in on the action uh, with a special offer from American betting experts. And for Thursday night NFL, BetMGM has the following campaign. Bet $1 on either team's money line and receive $100 when a touchdown is scored. So um, $100 touchdown. Again, bet $1 on one dollars on each team's money line on Thursday night football. Get paid $100. So we really uh, appreciate it. Um, again, we really appreciate you joining us for another edition of the Landry Football Podcast, and we appreciate our great folks uh, that can uh, hopefully um, listening to us on the Radio Influence Network. Uh, also, again, you can catch us on twitch.tv. You can catch us on YouTube, um, Landry Football YouTube, uh, Landry Football Facebook, and, of course, Twitch TV. We are going to answer your questions. Got some questions from um, a couple of folks. Let's see. Um, RW has a question about LSU Bopolini. We're going to get into some of that. We've got a question from Michael and Richard. Uh, so we've got the some good things to address here today. We're going to talk a little bit. We've had this question asked a bunch in a general sense, and we're going to get into it um, a little bit on, you get this a lot. Chris, is it more about the players or coaching? And it's kind of a comical question, but we're going to get into kind of the importance of both, obviously, and why you've got to have both and why they're, they're so important to the success of the whole operation. But again, we welcome your questions for those of you that want to join us in the chat room. Um, we appreciate you and we'll get to you uh, as we go along. Um, but I, I wanted to get, I want to get into a little bit of some of the games this weekend, uh, big Georgia, Florida. I want to remind you that LandryFootball.com has the detailed film room breakdowns that you can get, uh, with regards to um, roster analysis, how we expect the game to go, some of the key matchups, strategic matchups that are going to be involved in the process. So you want to make sure that you check that out. That's going to be, um, you know, it's must-see, must-read, because it gives you a little bit more insight than we can possibly do here on uh, the podcast. Um, and we've got a lot of feature games that we, um, we've got, on there, Florida, Georgia, Clemson, Notre Dame uh, are two. Um, you know, BYU-Boise State is a very underrated big game on Friday night. So we've got those, but we're going to break down by conference all of the games. So you're going to have a good feel for things, and we hope that you take advantage of the opportunity to get just that, all the information that you need for the whole uh, game of the week, uh, weekend, uh, as well as all the NFL games. So check us out. So the question, um, or something that I wanted to get into, cause we've talked a little bit about it and we get this quite a bit, um, players, coaches, you can certainly look at situations and those that want to take a side, which I never do because I know from experience that 
there's importance on both. Chris, is it more about players or is it more about coaches? And you're not going to like the answer because it's not a great talk show answer. It, it is both. Okay. And you can state your case. If you're in a courtroom, you can make your case one way or the other. And you can point out instances that will prove your point one way or the other. The problem when you in and I that's the court case and how you deal with it in a in a court of law environment is a lot different than what I call proper analysis. And what's really important to understand is that when you are evaluating a situation, players, teams, coaches, schemes, you've got to look at the whole process. And one of the things that I always stressed was, look, I've seen really talented players that are not utilized, that are not developed properly, that are not schematically sound, or even if they are schematically sound, they're not from a technique, fundamental technique sound. I mean, you can have great technique. If you can't tackle on defense, you're in trouble. You can have great scheme. You can't protect. You can't block. You're in trouble. So I've seen really good talent struggle. And I've seen teams that may have less talent play really well. But there's always a ceiling, a pretty low ceiling, if you're delinquent in one of those areas. So, you know, when you're looking at the personnel, there are different ways to coach. There are different ways to get the most out of your team. And, yes, it's about recruiting. It is about players. And if you don't have players you're going to have a pretty low ceiling. There's only so high you can go, and that's at any level. But there are things you can do fundamentally that I think can help fortify what you're doing in terms of personnel. And the way I always like to do it is, like I wanted to have, and there are two different levels, obviously. College is recruiting-based, and it's about what you do in recruiting. And that's on coaches, and that's on maybe the level of the program. The NFL is about the draft, and it's a little bit more complex in being able to figure out how to improve your team in terms of personnel. Well, one of the things I always believed in, and I do this a lot in my coaching search work and coaching coaching assessment area, is – if you have a good, solid foundation of coaching, uh, a an ability to be able to adjust and modify both from one season to the next and within season, it allows your ability to maximize whatever talent level you have. So whatever talent level you have, you should be doing the best you can to get the most out of the talent that you have. And that scheme, that's development, like, like, for example, I think the quickest way to get a team better, if you're really, really bad, is to attack the special teams. You have a good kicker, good punter, good coverage teams. You have the ability to be able to win the hidden yardage. You don't make mistakes. You know, you, you 
you play with discipline, you play with focus. If you can do those things and you set that culture and you set that discipline, you set that direction, then the only variable is to improve the talent. So if you've got the base and foundation is what I call it. I call the ability to play with discipline, to play with focus, to play um, smart technique, to not make a lot of mental errors. That's like your concrete. That's your foundation of the building of your house. Then you can move up and then build the different pieces together. If you don't have that good foundation, and this is what you often have, go out, recruit, get great players, but you don't have a system to properly develop, then they're up and down. Boy, they play great, high energy. They may play a team that's even worse coached than you, and you win, and you look really good from a coaching standpoint by comparison, but it's still not good. You follow me, and then it's up and down. It's one year to the next. It's When you have teams that are dramatically different, you can look at it in terms of what they're doing, where the fundamental flaws are. And sometimes it's in college, it's they haven't recruiting for, recruited well for a couple of cycles. And so it makes them less explosive, less capable. But you start from a coaching standpoint of having a philosophy that is sustainable, that is consistent. And then from there, you just build the talent and you consistently develop talent. And that's where you have, I think, really good programs. Now, you have programs that historically have done a good job with less talent. They can get more out of their players. And again, how good their teams are kind of in college developed from a standpoint of, well, they're really more talented this year so they can take that next step and next step. Whereas maybe the following year, they lose some key guys. They're still well coached, but they don't have as much talent. Therefore, the, the, the results are not as good. Both are, I think, you know, indicators of, look, they're well coached, they're consistent. And I think Iowa is a perfect example of that. They do just, they just come to mind as a program that they're consistent. What they do is consistent. They're better some years than others because the talent level is a little bit better, but they're consistent in what they do and how they do it. Um, teams that really recruit very well, but not as stable, you see some variables. Let's take a team like Clemson, one of the elite programs in the country, that when Dabo got there, they were recruiting good talent, but they weren't very well coached. Um, they were giving up 70 points on defense. Offensively, they were they were so wide open that they didn't play complimentary ball. And to Dabo's credit, he went out and hired and improved his coaching staff. And he's had stability on his staff because he's had basically the same coordinators. Now, Tony Elliott's still there. Jeff Scott moved on. But Brent Venables has been there for a long time. So they've got a solid foundation. So how they coach it and what they coach is a stable there year in and year out. So even though Dabble's not the great X's and O guy, and he's not the heavy lifter in that end, he is fortified by putting the right people in place. Okay, so you've created some 
environment of success and how they recruit, of course, is at a different level. I mean, they're great. Alabama is certainly the benchmark program because who recruits better than Alabama uh, over the past decade, 12 years? No one better and more consistent than Alabama. But who develops players better in Alabama? To be honest with you, Alabama develops players good or better than anybody. They also recruit elite talent. Well, then that's the answer. The, the perfect goal is to have that, is to have you recruit great talent and you develop it. But you, you're seeing it in the pro level. You see there's a difference. I mean, no one has done a better job of getting a lot out of his team than Bill Belichick. They're not the same this year, though, without Tom Brady. So the whole thing about whether you – what's more important, there is no more important. Okay, you can't survive if you don't have success in both areas. You can win a certain amount with talent. You can win a certain amount with superior coaching, but you're not going to achieve your ultimate level unless you can combine both. And there are certain programs in college where there's limitations to the type of players you can get in the NFL. The whole league is built upon the better you are, the lower you're going to pick in the draft, and the way it usually works, if you have success, you have a lot of players that leave via free agents. It's, it's tough. So, look, there is no no clear, you know, hey, it's, it's this, it's that. We had a question that I'll address here because it's, it's um I think it's relevant to this point. Um RW asked about Bo Pelini and Ed Ogeron and um asking about Ed Ogeron and is kind of a guy that's um you know is maybe a little bit too confident in what he's done and a little bit of too much of the fruits of the success of last year. And is there bigger problems than just Bo Pelini? Well, yeah, there's a narrative of it's all Bo Pelini's fault at LSU. Well, think about it. If it truly is all Bo Pelini's fault for LSU's defense, it still comes under the head coach for hiring him. That's who the head coach wanted. And he wanted it because he wanted Bo Pelini's style of aggressiveness and attacking, but they don't have the talent to do what LSU typically does defensively. Okay. They were not happy with their defense last year, but there was a fundamental lack of understanding by the head coach that as long as their offense was going to be hyper-explosive, their defense was going to be vulnerable, was going to be on the field more. And so I think he's starting to learn it after trying to explain it to him that those things are not going to be congruent, that you're going to have to play better complementary football. And – Bo Pelini's defense that he runs, which is very successful when it has the proper personnel to run it. He doesn't adjust to the personnel. Personnel has to adjust to him. Well, there's not enough personnel to do what they've had success doing. There's um, the coaching is not as good, and therefore you see a dramatic drop at LSU. So when you say, well, what's the problem at LSU? Is it personnel? It's coaching. It's both. It's never that precipitous of a drop 
unless it's a healthy combination of both issues. They lost a lot of talent. Their offense can't overcome it like it did last year. Defensively, they were much better coached and much more eclectic. They could play different styles, different weeks, depending on what their opponent. This, this defense can't play anything well fundamentally. You know, it doesn't take talent to line up. They're not lined up well. They make the same mistakes over and over. And a lot of it is because it exposes some of the weakness of what they can or cannot do in coaching. It also exposes the fact that they don't have the ter- personnel to run it. Bo Pelini's had success when he's had elite personnel. And, of course, great personnel makes coaching a lot easier. I can attest to that. But good coaching is about taking whatever you have, you know, you can't always have filet mignon that you can serve. You got to find a way to make some other dishes and, and have a meal without having the best of the best all the time. Because there are times that you're even at an elite level are going to have gaps with certain players leaving. And maybe the guy that was going to replace them didn't turn out quite as good as you thought. You've got to be able to have the ability to do both. So, I mean, it may seem like a very simple thing. And hopefully, this gives you a better understanding of. Look, you've got to have an ability from a coaching standpoint to maximize what you have. But you have to be able to create uh, opportunity. So in general, here's the way that's best way to do it. You recruit defensive players to fit a scheme. And then you can modify within that scheme. But. Defense is about assignment. Defense is about gap control. And having great athletes that can create pressure on the offense is integral. But it's more assignment. And I think you take great playmakers and build your offense around what your playmakers can do. Um, I think you run a little bit more if you're a little bit more built for that. I think you throw it more if your quarterback and your receivers and your protection can allow you to do more of that. You want to do both. And at an elite level, you can do both. But what you have to do is you have to utilize personnel in both sides of the ball. But particularly on offense, you have to get playmakers involved. And so that's the key. Um, you know, and the, to answer your question about Bo Pelini, Look, Bo's very inflexible. Bo is a type A personality. Bo is a lot like Ed Orgeron personality-wise. When when Dave Aranda was there, Dave, very cerebral guy, just kind of dealt with Ed, let Ed have his say, but he knew, you know, Dave knew what to do and how to do with it, and he just kind of did did what he wanted to do, what he needed to do, and and Ed would, you know, wouldn't know one way or the other. With Bo Pelini, it's a little bit more of a confrontational issue. It's more of an ego issue with Pelini. And so this has kind of come to a head. And and the fate of Bo Pelini and this LSU defense for next year will be defined by how well they finish this year. So hopefully that answers RW your question there. Uh, let's get to want to get to some other thoughts and some other questions here and get into some of the week's games. But let me answer some questions. We appreciate you participation. Burns, it says, Doug Peterson's Eagles are big into analytics. He goes far into 
uh, near midfield. Uh, goes for it in midfield the majority of the time. He's made some questionable decisions against the Cowboys. Seems to like game awareness. Is he just looking at numbers and analytics and not game flow? And who are they playing? He gave Dallas scoring opportunities that they shouldn't have had. Look. There are a lot of people that are into analytics. Analytics is not new, first of all. Analytics has been around for a while. Um, it wasn't necessarily called analytics, but there are tendencies, there are things that would be more indicative of whether you go, don't go, how do you play this. We, we all have dealt with breakdowns. What's made analytics better is that the film has allowed with breakdowns, you can do a lot more. For example, the old days when I first started in coaching, you had 16 millimeter film where you literally had to take the film and cut and splice all the first and chart, second chart, third and chart, third and long. I mean, you had to break them all down. Now it can be digitized from so you can get the information quicker. And then you can look, you know, here's the thing how you break down tape. You're breaking down your first down offense. You can take all your first down plays and study them. Where they are, where they are not, what you do. You can take all of your situations, third down, third and long, fourth down, you know, all of the plays inside the red zone, all the plays back in, you know, in your deep end, middle of the field. You can, you can, so you can look at them one after the other and really get a feel for what you're doing, how you're doing it. And then, of course, it's all charted. Well, all of that information has been there and is there. What you're seeing now is more analytics that tells you what to do. Here's my feeling on analytics. As I said, it's been around for a while. I use it, but it doesn't override my intuition. What it does, if you do it right, it helps. Um, it helps you, or it should help you, determine your philosophy. You should always look at the flow of the game. For example, to your point, Burns, you know questionable decisions about going for it near midfield the majority of the time. Well, that's fine. You can go for it. Analytics may say it. What I say is, all right, analytics say percentage-wise you can go for it, but how is the flow of the game? Are our receivers getting open? Or we're able to block the three technique consistently thus far? How are they playing on that side of the ball? My point is, is it may say in general, and this is what I hate, when people say, well, percentage-wise, everybody says that you should go for it. Who the hell cares what 32 teams' average is? What the hell difference does that make? Of course the better teams are going to be able to be more successful in certain situations. Bad teams are not. So look at the analytics of your team. Also, you have to break it down to when have you had most success? You can't sit there and say, well, we're 60% effective when we do this or that. Well, why are we 60% effective? Are there any tendencies within that? Yeah, we're a little bit more effective when we play teams A, B, C, and D versus, you know, X, Y, and Z. Well, what do those A, B, C, and D have in common? Well, we were able to block them a little bit better. X, Y, Zs are a little bit better. That will affect me. All right, look. 
yeah, we're 60% in this category, but we're not having success blocking the three technique. He's kicking our ass. That might affect whether I go for it or not, don't you think? So, no, I think analytics help derive your philosophy overall with your team, but all it does is, and that's where we use the term, break it down, break it down. We're, we're percentage-wise in this situation, this. Why? Well, because we do this. Why? And the more you break it down further, the more you can get to the answer of why you're having success and whether this current situation, you feel good about it. You know, it might be a, a situation where it's a low percentage. Don't go for it here. But we're kicking their ass. We're blocking them. I feel really good. We're executing. We're having no problems. We feel like we can get it's low percentage historically in the league. It's low percentage with us this year. But right now, we feel like we got them going. And then, you know, look, in this case, if the Eagles, you're not blocking very well, you've got an offensive line issue. I got concerns about going for it. I can call a ball play. So, yeah, I think guys tend to rely too much on analytics. And I do think those situations are individualized and should be. Like, like for example, I get this a lot. Why the hell in goal line situation does a team line up and shotgun? Makes no sense. Well, the reason why they do that is because a team that runs shotgun most of the time, they are a zone blocking team. So what in zone blocking, you want to ha- have influence blocks, meaning you want to, the defense will initiate its charge and you're going to block them on the angle. They come from one side, you're going to block them so that you can block them and move them towards the direction they want to go. They come at you this way, you're going to block them that way. You're not going to, man blocking, you're not, Man on man, I'm going to move him or they're going to move me. They're going to move you. Well, you don't want to be under center where they've got an advantage because you're a zone blocking team. You're smaller, you're quicker, but they're more physical. They're going to get penetration. Well, you don't want to be lined up under center where they got the charge. They meet you right in the backfield. You want to have the option to have the influence to where You can let them get their charge, and you can block them at an angle. Now you've got more of a chance. So, you know, that is a play-calling issue, and a a lot of analytics are what do we do in this situation that's successful. Well, what we do in this situation that's successful may be certain plays out of certain formation, out of certain personnel groups. But, again, against what opponent, how talented are they, how successful are we at running that? I think all those things are important. Um, you know, people will say this. I don't understand it. Well, running the football great, then we stop running it. Well, they stopped running it because the defense is now playing a different front because you are running the football well against that defense. They're not going to make an adjustment. So what allowed you to have success is no longer there. So what do I always say? They're able to load the box and stop the run. You better be able to 
take advantage of it by being able to throw the football effectively against a weakened coverage unit, less guys in coverage. Well, most people, I don't get it. We ran a, yeah, they don't need to run it into a brick wall five times to realize, oh yeah, well, you know, it's, you know, it's not working. We already know it's not going to work now because we are able to block that front when they're playing a six and seven man front and we're running spread. Now, all of a sudden, they've changed the look of their front. We can't block that. We're not going to have success with it. So we have to do something. We have to modify it. So again, there's a lot more to it. Play calling and decisions on where to go for it or all those things you can look at in a overview. You need to look at it though and break it down by the front, by the coverage, by the personnel grouping, because that's the only analytics that matter because it's comparing apples to apples. And then you have to adjust the flow of the game. Week four, when we played them, we couldn't run certain things. We weren't very successful. We weren't very sharp. We had the same plays called, but we weren't executing quite as sharply. Now we're better at it with more practice. Therefore, our chances in the same exact situation are better because we're better executing. So just some things to keep in mind. Um, Jig's dad, and we appreciate him cheering us 100 bits. All of his support. What are your thoughts on Joe Judge so far? I think the Giants are playing better each week with all their limitations. Um, I agree. Watching the Giants, they are playing better. They are, uh, I think, more fundamentally sound. I think they're playing harder. I think they played well. thought they played well against the Bucs. thought they played well against the Rams. I, ha- I do think they are playing better. Um, they're not good enough in certain areas. I'm curious to see where they go from here and how they finish out the season. They're going to have some tough decisions to make on what they do. You know, there's a lot of going to be a lot of pressure to let go of Dave Gettleman. I admit friend of Dave Gettleman's like him. Think he's done a good job throughout his career. I, I think you can question decisions that he's made, just like with anyone else. The Giants historically are patient, not overreactive. Um, I'm more inclined to say that I think this team is doing some things that are positive, as opposed to across town with the Jets, where I see there's going to have to be massive changes. So I, I, I'm much more encouraged by what the Giants are doing. And I know that if you look at the record, you'd say, ah, oh, yeah, what's the difference? They look they're bad as bad. And, you know, you're right. Uh, I think that's a, an observant uh, point that you bring about that even though they record their record is not good, they have looked a lot better. Um, I'm going to get into some NFL discussions here in a minute. A couple of other questions I'm going to get to. Michael asked about – um, I hope uh, some questions regarding building a roster. I'm going to start off with my position that teams should use all of his picks to move up and select two to four players, depending on the draft capital in the first three rounds. Needs are filled by undrafted free agents, and the back end of the roster is filled by college free agents. Uh, I basically some things, some things I've read. First, the number of starts by first-rounders compared to second- to third-rounders and starts by first, second, third-rounders compared to fourth and seventh. Secondly, career approximate value of players in the draft slot. Thirdly, um, you know, potential flaws, lack of depth, salary cap. Um, 
All right, a couple of things here. And this is something we get into a lot, Michael, around draft time. But I'll, I'll mention it in terms of roster build. Um, first of all, the premise of selecting players, first-round players, second-round players, third-round players, are all wrong. There's no such thing as uniformity with a first-round player or a second-round player. That's where players are taken. Where players are graded are very often different. So understand something. Um, The whole key to this, being successful, is how well you evaluate. You can't draft well if you don't evaluate well. Um, The philosophy of taking players in the second, third, and fourth round, no. Um, I've drafted too many starters in the fourth round, the fifth round, the sixth round, fourth round players with second round. Great. So what you're saying is you're taking guys in the second, third and fourth round because they're second, third and fourth round graded players. They're not, you can play it. You can take a second round graded player in the first round. You can take a, a, a play in the second round. That's a fourth round graded play. Uh, and you can take a fourth round, uh, a second round graded player in the fourth round. The key is to evaluate correctly. And the key is to get as many good players as you can. Uh, in today's game, it's imperative that you build your roster from the bottom up, that you create depth. And the only way to do that is to get as, as many players as you can. You don't build the backup of your roster with undrafted free agents. That's not accurate. If you are building it with undrafted free agents, it's because you've not had enough good draft picks or haven't done a good enough job with your draft picks late. You can get fourth-round fifth round grady players as undrafted free agents. So if you look at the rosters and look at overall numbers, well, you can see that players on teams on rosters that are not very good. You're going to have more undrafted free agents that make it in those cases. You can have pivotal undrafted free agents that make it on good rosters. So the answer is you have to get your evaluation situation squared away. And I would say, that having multiple picks late is the key to a good draft because it does two things. One, if you've got multiple picks in the sixth and seventh round, you might be able to move up a few spots in the fourth round or fifth round to get a player with a second or third round grade. Um, If you look at the overall numbers, yeah, overall numbers, players that make it, of course the better players are in the top part of the draft, but not everybody sees players the same way and not everybody grades players equally as well so what you have is a lot of misevaluations that create some of these dynamics that can be problematic to putting together a roster so when you say you move up and select two to four players in the first three rounds well everyone would like to have four players in the first three rounds how are you going to move up every year where you're going to have to give up player picks in the first three rounds in future years to get up into this year's draft. So you can't move up and get players unless you are moving back and moving back. So your draft board dictates to you, if you've got a number of players with second round grades still on the board, it behooves you to move out of your second round pick into a third round or into the fourth round so that you can get extra high picks the next year. It depends. The number of players that you grade on your board in the grade plateaus determine whether you want to move up or move back. 
So it is probably more advantageous to move back in the draft than to move up. That is proven to be true over the years. But situationally, it is more advantageous at times to move up, more advantageous in times to move back. So, no, I would not agree with that. Um, it's a misevaluation. That's the key. And, and it, once you do that, I think what in today's fantasy world, people know the names of players. They know who's ranked as a first rounder, second rounder. Those are not accurate evaluations. Okay. Um, there's no such thing as a first round player or a second round player or a fifth round player. They're players that are graded into a category. I don't want to get into it too much. Now we'll get into that more in the off season because that takes too long and I'm long winded anyway. But um, you want as many late round picks as possible as you can. And the biggest mistakes that people make is that they think a player that's taken in the fifth round is a fifth round player. It's not necessarily the case. You got guys at third round grades on some boards, they're taken in the first round. You got guys that are taken later, like I said, fifth round players that are second round graded players. Um, I've drafted all pros in the sixth round in the seventh round. Well, even in the eighth and ninth rounds when there were eighth and ninth rounds. So it's not about draft picks. It's about evaluating players correctly and knowing how to utilize them. So I think that's, I hope that answers your question. Um, all right, let's get into some thoughts. A um, couple more things here. Richard says, how do you determine if a quarterback has a strong arm versus a weak arm when evaluating quarterbacks and, uh, and uh, can a, Quarterback strength, arm strength, be able to be uh, strengthen their arm to be able to make good enough throws with their teams. Yes, you can improve your arm strength. Tom Brady is a perfect example of that. Um, first of all, you throw the body from your lower body, so from your lower body platform, so you can improve your upper body strength. But the biggest thing is to improve your pliability, your flexibility, but uh, upper body, and then you improve your lower body. You can improve it. Look, the, the way you do it is you you study the routes. You study the you, – you grade the chart. We make a quarterback chart, a throw chart, where he throws the ball. And when you break down film, where does he throw it? And you chart it. And how quickly does the ball get there from release point? And where is the ball thrown? Um, so if you can throw it different routes – I break it down on the throw charts, which tells you on different routes how effective he is. That's how you do it. Um, there's no other way. You don't, hey, the yards and all that. Well, depends on the throw. If you're throwing it deep um, against man-to-man coverage and you got no inside safety help, I mean, you can have a weak arm quarterback throw it 50 yards, throwing it from his legs, and he's throwing it deep, high inside. That is not necessarily arm strength the amount of distance that he throws it. Now, you're throwing it on a rope outside the numbers. You're throwing it, you know, deep. That that can tell you. Uh, but you got to break down film and break down the routes and chart. It's how you do it, and you can improve it. What was your assessment of Ernie Corsi uh, as a general manager? Um, I work with Ernie in Cleveland. Ernie was more of a PR guy. Um he was not a, a an evaluator type of guy. He relied on his coaches to make a lot of those decisions. Um, I think he was, you know, was good in the PR stuff, but uh, he had a lot of BS to him. Um, you know, 
he was he was again he never really was involved in building anything special and never involved in a lot of good personnel decisions you know he's the type of guy that uh got to know him real well he's the type of guy that would always he would take credit for a lot of things behind the scenes that that really he wasn't involved in uh what kind of impact will antonio brown have with the bucks that you see despite the baggage that he brings. I don't know. Uh, and he's an immense talent, big-time playmaker, and I can't, you know, tell you whether he's going to stay out of trouble or not. That there, That's one I'm not going to touch because I don't know. It's a guess. I mean, it could go either way. What was your scouting evaluation of Matt Burke out of Harvard? Matt took really good angles, uh, very smart as you might, you know, understand very good upper body strength and really work to build his lower body. Uh, Isaac Bruce out of Memphis thing that impressed me the most was his speed cuts. I mean, he really ran good routes, but he great got great separation at the top of his cuts. Um, and then Merton Hanks, Merton Hanks, when he came out of Iowa was very rangy, not real fast, very, very physical. Um, you know, so th- those are the thoughts on those guys. Some interesting things I want to get into this week. Um, and I appreciate all the questions, all the different platforms. Uh, is Clemson without Trevor Lawrence? Last week, I thought um, DJ Ungalale did a really good job, poised under pressure, make good decisions, uh, brought them from behind. Makes this Notre Dame game a little bit more intriguing from from a standpoint of how the game will be played. Still think Clemson's the favorite, likely to win, but I don't think it's as sure a bet as it was with Trevor Lawrence in the game. Um, but but I'm one of the things that Clemson does very very well. It's that they're able to play a lot of people. They play an average of twelve more players a game than any other team in college football. So they work a lot of young guys in, and we're starting to see that defense play pretty well, and I wonder what Notre Dame is going to be able to do. Can they make enough big plays on offense or defense to win this game? I I think not. Um, But that is an intriguing game. Georgia, Florida got the complete breakdown on LandryFootball.com, how I think it might play out. Florida, Georgia is going to be intriguing. Certainly. Um, Florida's offense, Georgia's defense is a strength. Florida's defense, Georgia's offense, maybe a question mark. Check out the breakdowns. I go into the details, the matchup, the positional breakdowns, all those things we've got for you there. Um, offensive Georgia looks limited. How can they get their offense going? We'll go into that. We got into that as well. I think the real key is to be able to throw the football. Georgia's going to have to force Florida to defend the run and that they're going to have to find a way to throw the football against loose coverage against multiple guys defending the run in the box. So if Florida comes out loading the box, look for Georgia to run. If Florida doesn't then look for Georgia to run the football to force them to do so, so that they can throw it. Then the other side is how much improved is Florida's defense did a nice job against Missouri. How much better? Uh, can they defend the run? That's going to be key. Um, so it, it's very often a game of which how can we accentuate what we do well and 
magnify what our opponent doesn't do well and how can we marginalize what we don't do well and marginalize what they do well. That's really the key in this kind of what how this game plays out to me, and we'll go into it. A um, couple of things that jumped out at me that just more and more concerning about Michigan. And as I watch them and study them, they've got Indiana this week. Did not see any way they would lose to Michigan State. And it just goes to show you. The biggest thing I see with Michigan is, you know, Jim's inability over time to embrace and and teach a little bit more of a modernized offense. Look, I mean, he brought in Josh Gaddis with the idea to do just that. It hasn't worked. The personnel and they're somewhat limited, but yet in terms of what they want to do, and you know, it's it's not gelling. And the, I've always said that. In a nutshell, the biggest thing that Jim hasn't done well at Michigan, that he did well at Stanford and in San Francisco, was hire well. Things haven't worked very well, and that's been the problem. And I don't see them growing their offense. They've got a young quarterback, but they don't really do a good enough job of working that young quarterback in an offensive system, raw concepts, you know, it's hard for them to do. I mean, it's fine to run the football. It's fine to be physical. But if you can't get a defense spread out, you're going to have a hard time running it, and you're going to have a hard enough time scoring the football enough. Um, and that's a problem. And um, so, you know, one of the things that Jim's has done is he's pretty much beaten the teams he's supposed to, and he's fallen short against the teams that maybe are a little bit better. But losing to Michigan State – now, this is not losing to Mark D'Antonio at the height of his success. This is getting beat by a first-year coach that just – Michigan made four more mistakes. Um, we touched a little bit about LSU. I won't go into that a whole lot. The collapse against Auburn is definitely alarming, definitely a problem. Uh, Oklahoma State, uh, typically kind of how they are, good but when they get into the big game moments where you got to win that game to maintain your position nationally, they've fallen short, probably taking the Big 12 completely out of the mix. Uh, we saw them against Iowa State in the year that LSU made the national championship game with two losses. Oklahoma State could have been in there. They they were not able to take care of business. <clears throat> they had a better team then. But this is a team that's pretty good. I'm not able to take care of business. Texas A&M is playing really, really well. Arkansas has improved. Still hasn't beaten a, a really good team, though. Uh, A&M's playing, getting good play up front in the offensive line. It's been the key. Alabama rolls while Mississippi State's offense still can't score. Mississippi State scored like 44 points, set all sorts of records against LSU. They've scored like 30 points combined since. Ohio State continues to look good. Um, going to be real interesting. Hey, uh, big matchup Friday night. I've got the breakdown up on LandryFootball.com. BYU, Boise State, how that game may play out, how both teams look. Pac-12 gets going this week, and excited to see that go. In the NFL, uh, Patriots are in trouble. There, there's no question right now. We've kind of alluded to it at the top, talking coaches and players. 
there's no doubt that Bill Belichick without Tom Brady is not looking all that good. And it's one thing to not have Tom Brady. It's another thing to go from Tom Brady to Cam Newton. It's real problematic there. No, no doubt about it. Um, but I looking at New England Buffalo last week, uh, Bills should probably win that division, but the Bills have a ways to go if they're going to be a factor in the playoffs. Impressive with the Steelers' big win over the Ravens. Very good defensive team. Uh, probably the biggest threat to Kansas City is Pittsburgh. Saints survive versus the Bears. What a game this week. The Saints-Tampa Sunday night. Uh, going to be a lot of fun. We'll kind of see where these teams are. Look, Tampa's look good. Did not play all that well against the Giants. We alluded to that a little earlier. They've looked a little bit better than the Saints on tape. However, the Saints have beaten them once. If the Saints beat them again, that's essentially a two-game lead because now you got a sweep. So huge, huge game for uh, the Bucks and the Saints. It's going to be a really good matchup. Uh, Chicago, Tennessee's intriguing. Both teams look like playoff teams, but coming off losses. Curious to see how they respond. Seattle, Buffalo. Seattle certainly looked, um, re- they responded well last week. Uh, Buffalo's defense, in- unless it is immeasurably better, they're going to be in trouble. Um, San Francisco is really banged up. I mean, they got COVID issues. They've had injuries all year. This is the team that's just almost looking like um, it's trying to find the finish line. They've got no real answers. Um, we're starting to see a little bit of separation, you know, around uh, the conferences. It looks like, again, Pittsburgh, to me, Pittsburgh and Kansas City uh, in the AFC. And the NFC is a little bit more muddled. I don't think there's a clear top two. There's no team in the East, of course. Um, I think Seattle, you would probably put in based upon how they've played with, but with their defense, I don't think it's a guarantee anything. Uh, the Packers and the Bucks and the Saints are good teams, but I, you know, it's, it's, um, it, it's a little bit more muddled in the NFC at the top. I'd be very surprised if anybody other than Kansas city or Pittsburgh reaches a Super Bowl out of the AFC. So We've got the breakdowns for you. The feature games we'll have up on LandryFootball.com, but we'll break down every game in the NFL, just like we do every game in college football. I appreciate you uh, again joining us, part of the uh, Radio Influence Network. I also want to thank our great sponsors from Manscaped that, um, you know, check them out. Absolutely great product that they have. Appreciate them being on board with their precision engineering tools. Take advantage of it. Uh, what a great opportunity to get 20% off plus free shipping with the code LANDRY20. That's L-A-N-D-R-Y 20 uh, at manscaped.com. And check out, uh, you want to make sure before you get involved in betting this week's game, go to LandryFootball.com. Click on special gaming offers from American Betting experts um landryfootball.com scouts eye on football uh you know the landry football podcast everything we do here brought to you by american betting experts so go to landryfootball.com click on the ad located on the upper right side and uh, pick 
on the gaming sites illegal in your states, uh, BetMGM, DraftKings, FanDuel, PointsBet. Take advantage of that today. What great offers uh, before you get involved in placing your wager for the weekend. Um, uh, again, want to thank the folks at Radio Influence. Check out their fine family of podcasts that we are proud to be involved of. Quick before we go, Bernsey says, um, do you think Dave Caldwell is safe in Jacksonville or will they completely clean house? Look, uh, Dave and and, and um, um, Marone, Doug Marone survived the purge of Tom Coughlin. It looks like they have made the transition towards youth movement, rebuild the roster. I don't think it's a guarantee that Dave Caldwell's going to be there. Um, but I think clearly where they felt the problem was with Tom Coughlin, they made that move last year. So this gives an opportunity. But the one thing that the owner had to sign off on is kind of purging of the roster and making some of the moves that they've made. They're definitely cleaning house to build for the future. So it'll be interesting to see if they're going to allow the guy that's kind of rebuilding to build it or they're going to bring somebody else. And I would imagine they're going to have some hard luck both ways. So it's a good question there. Um, and I don't have the answer right now. Um, and I really think it will tell you this, that I think that there's going to be at least internally a investigation of who possibly they could bring in um, and kind of compare that. And it's what I always encourage you guys to do. Look, before you make a move, see who you can bring in to upgrade. I mean, it's just like any player. I mean, you're not going to let a player go unless you've got, it takes talent to replace talent. You've got to get a guy that you have that you think is going to be a better fit for you. Well, you got to do the same thing as a coach, as a position coach, as a coordinator, as a head coach. You got to, you got to bring in somebody better and you got to have a feel for who you can bring in. That's going to upgrade you. And I think you need to do the same when you're dealing with a front office executive, like a general manager. So hey, appreciate you joining us. Uh, join us again next week for another edition of the Landry football podcast. Thanks to Bernsey and, um, uh, uh, Jig's dad for participating in the chat room. Uh, got any questions, send it to us, uh, but also join us in the chat room on Twitch TV. Appreciate you joining us. Spread the word about the Landry Football Podcast. We'll be here next week. Uh, also, check us out uh, at LandryFootball.com for all the latest uh, information that we have there for you. Breaking down the game inside the film room like having your own scouting department or coaching department for less than a magazine subscription, less than $10 a month. So check it out. Actually less than that. If you take advantage of the year membership, Hey, appreciate you joining us. Have a great football weekend. Enjoy the games. We'll talk to you again next week, everybody.